You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and with me today to recap another dominant win by the Georgia Bulldogs, something our guys have absolutely made into a routine this season. But here to recap this week's dominant win on Rocky Top over the Tennessee Volunteers is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, this makes 10 of 12 over the Vols. Who's counting, right? But 10 of 12 over the Volunteers, including five in a row, with those five wins coming by an average score of 41 to 10. And for those of you, all of you out there who remember the 90s, you suffered through a decade in which we went winless against the Vols. All of you guys, you know what that means, what it means to win 10 of the last 12 against Tennessee, five in a row. If you are old enough to remember those years, you know just how sweet it is to take it to the Vols like that, especially in their own stadium. That was once upon a time, about 20 years ago, a house of horrors for us, at least for a little while. And this win over the Vols also means that we have closed out conference play undefeated for the first time since 1982. We actually went 6-0 in conference back in 1982. Obviously, now we play eight conference games. So 8-0, undefeated in conference for the first time since 1982. Obviously, a lot of work still left to be done. That should not even have to be said. And there's no time for taking a deep breath. But I still think it's important to stop and recognize that accomplishment. It's not the ultimate accomplishment. I get that. I get that it's just a means to an end. But enjoy this, guys. Enjoy it. And we will break down this win over Tennessee from all the different angles in just a minute. But first, I do want to remind you guys about our good friends at Alumni Hall. The holidays are rapidly approaching, and there's no better place to get gifts for the Georgia fans in your life than Alumni Hall. They have the best selection of Georgia gear that you're going to find anywhere. They got all the different brands. Whatever your preference is, trust me. They've got it. They also have a Hall Pass Rewards program where you can earn credits towards future purchases with each purchase that you make. If you're a veteran, if you're still a UGA student, you get a 10% discount on every single purchase every single day of the year. You can visit them in-store in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the wonderful city of Athens. Or if you're not local to the city, you can just visit them online at alumnihall.com. They have a great website, makes the shopping experience very, very easy, great customer service. 
And one of the really nice touches they have, when you order something online from Alumni Hall, the package that you get, it's so insanely nice with how it's wrapped, the little touches they put on it. It's it's really awesome. First class people, first class company. And again, if you're looking for any, any gifts for all those Georgia fans in your lives, you know you got them. Alumni Hall is the place to go. And I also want to remind you guys, for the next trip that you're making to Athens, whenever that's going to be, for whatever occasion it's for, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage here in the heart of Athens. The Normal Town Cottage really is like a home away from home, guys. It gives you all the comforts of home in a way a hotel, an overpriced hotel, never could. And oh yeah, also you don't have to worry about staying in a hotel room that's got about 30 years worth of renovations backlog that it really needs to make. No, it's nice, it's new, it's clean, it's perfect. Three bedrooms, kitchenette, big screen TV, it's basically like staying in a hotel penthouse without having to pay penthouse prices. It's within walking distance of a ton of great bars and restaurants, just a very short distance away from downtown Athens. It's tucked away in what I think is the most charming part of the classic city. So it's a no-brainer, guys. Next time you're making your trip to Athens, make sure to book your stay at the Normal Town Cottage. All right, Curtis, big win. Obviously, we know that. But you got to say, go back to the start of that game. It started a little shaky at first. I'm not going to lie. You guys know how I operate when it comes to Georgia football. I was, at the very least, a little uneasy there in the stands over those first few drives. (laughs) But I still would say, like, Curtis, I don't know about you, man. I never felt like we were going to lose the game in that first quarter. But when did you start to feel like, all right, we kind of delivered the knockout blow. Tennessee's down for the count. Like, When did you feel like they were out of it? After that touchdown pass to James Cook, that's when I started feeling more confident because we had gotten multiple stops in a row against their offense, and I think that's when I started feeling. Because it wasn't until after like the first or second stop in a row that I felt like, okay, this is just how it's going to be um, more consistently. Because at first, you know, we got the stop in the second drive, then they go down and kick the field goal, and you just weren't sure if we were going to be able to consistently stop them. So it wasn't until we had a couple stops in a row and then puts um, the points on the board to kind of start separating it. Yeah, man, like that, that's a good call. I think that's when I really started to like take a deep breath. Like, okay, we're good. We got this. I mean, that was a really big drive. We started that, if I remember correctly, that was like a 90-yard drive, right? We started that drive off at our 10-yard line, and we go 11 plays. So. It was like, I think we got it like a little more than three minutes left in the game, like three and a half minutes left or in, in the first half. So it, for all practical purposes, I guess you can call it a four-minute drill, but it got to the point where it was like a two-minute drill. And I know – like. We've beat the quarterbacks into the ground. We've had that conversation over and over again. But I will say the past couple of weeks, and really several times this year, Stetson Bennett has done a really good job operating that two-minute job. Now, JT's done a good job when he's had those opportunities as well. But you go back to last week, you got this week against Tennessee. He did a really good job there. And that was a huge drive. We were only up a touchdown at that point, sitting there at our own 10-yard line, under four minutes to go in the first half, up 17-10. And we put together a 90-yard drive. You're right, Curtis. Cap it off that big touchdown pass. That was a really nice ball. Stetson wasn't on the money with every single pass. But that ball was on the money. What a great call also. Seeing a man coverage out there, getting the slant and go, that slow go to James Cook, and then going up two touchdowns into half with the momentum. I really felt really good at that point. And then we come out and uh, I guess was our second drive. We get that field goal, uh, go up 27-10. Really, when we were up 27-10, I felt like that was the knockout blow. Three scores, there was no way they were coming back from that deficit. They were not going to overcome a three-score deficit there and uh, come back to win that game. So, for me, that's kind of when I was like, all right, this game's over. It's now just a matter of, like, do we cover at this point? Uh, and, obviously, like, we did get it together. Clearly, we ended up w- winning this one going away. And I, 
there's a trend I've noticed, Curtis, the past couple of weeks. I don't know if you've noticed this, man, and, and and maybe I'm just crazy here, but like, have you noticed how well we've been playing the second quarter of games the past month or so? Um, <clears throat> I think I have noticed that it's really like, especially offensively, the first quarter we have struggled consistently, but even defensively, we get really going because well, and, and I mean it makes sense. I mean, you I think like. The offense is no longer on their scripted drives. We've seen almost everything they're going to throw at you defensively. You're starting to get more comfortable to the pace and everything that's coming at you. And then offensively, you're starting to settle in some more. So you are kind of seeing it, especially like the the last part of the second quarter is when we started making some moves. Yeah, I think we're doing a really good job of, of making those in-game adjustments. And like think about in years past, there's always that criticism of our coaches that we – we were really good at like like Jim Cheney especially like he was really good at scheming up a, a team like during the week and having a game plan coming into the game. But once that defense adjusted, he didn't really have answers. Like the in-game adjustments weren't there. And I think what we're seeing this year, like it's not to say that our, we are we don't come in the game with good game plans. I think that we do. But when teams are playing their more team in the country, they're doing a lot of things different than they do against other teams. They're, we see a lot of tendencies being broken when teams play us because they know they've got to throw the kitchen sink at us to beat us. So our coaches have done a really good job of adjusting offensively and defensively in game to what our opponents are trying to do to us. And here's a stat for you guys. This, and it's because I, I was, I kind of felt this. I didn't have the numbers in front of me. So on the way home today, I went back and kind of just checked this out and put the numbers together and it kind of bears itself out. So in this game, obviously we had a big second quarter. The first quarter ended Curtis. We were down, like we were down 10, seven after the first quarter against Tennessee. And if you go back to the Kentucky game, so four games now, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, and now Tennessee, we have only outscored our opponents 14 to 13 in the first quarter. We're outscoring our opponents by one point in the first quarter over the past month of the season. But we have been absolutely putting teams away in the second quarter, outscoring them 74 to 7 in that frame. 74 to 7 in the second quarter. And I didn't know it was that big of a game. Honestly, it was just something I, I kind of felt like I've noticed the past couple of weeks. I didn't have the numbers. I looked that up today. And you guys can double check my math. 14 to 13 in the first quarter of the past four games, 74 to 7 in the second quarter. We're making those adjustments. We're taking their best shots, and we are throwing our haymakers in the second quarter. And we are putting teams away in the second quarter. You go into the halftime, we got these leads with these big second quarters, and we're kind of just salting the game away in the second half. So just a little extra stat for you guys, something that I've noticed over the past couple of weeks. But Curtis, let's get a little bit more into this game. There is a lot of talk. A lot of talk, even on this show, a lot on this show, actually, leading into this one about how this was going to be Georgia's biggest test, right? Tennessee had this momentum they've been building, had a big win over Kentucky on the road a week ago. This really explosive offense, number one in the country, going to Rocky Top in a hostile environment. Can Stetson Bennett win a shootout if it, if it comes to that? And, and we said all that ourselves on this show. Absolutely. I, and I stand by that. I still think this is our big, this was our biggest test of the season to date. Maybe you can say Auburn as well. I think it's maybe a toss up there, but once again, our guys responded in a big way. Once again, showing how this is just a different team. These are different dudes out there. They are built differently this year. So Kurt, let's just start with the big picture. Look, and we'll get into some of the, the nitty gritty X's and O's here later on, but big picture. Look, Curtis, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? I think the biggest takeaway for me was we absolutely lived up to our billing. That's what really stood out to me. Um, you know, I was texting you, I think, Friday, and I was expecting Tennessee to score into the, you know, around 20, in the 20 to 30 range. And not saying that 
and I still thought we'd win handedly, but I thought that they were going to give us stretch us, especially defensively. And our defense responded, you know, that first drive when you and I were, t- I was talking and I was, and I was feeling nervous, um, honestly. And I was I nervous. The I was nervous thing, that first drive for sure. And, and the, the biggest thing is like, not only do we have the players that live up to the billing, but people always want to trash Kirby and all of our coaches, but I thought our coaches lived up to it the defense was struggling Brini was struggling so what do we do we make some personnel changes and the defense responded and they worked I mean we at what I think what it was 31 points or 31 unanswered points and we scored and I think that talks about the team as a whole um and even we made some changes on the offensive line I know he blamed it on the flu for Warren Erickson but the fact of the matter is Xavier Trust played better and we made some changes that really got our team going. Just like you saw it with Zeus, he wasn't exactly clicking. So we went with James Cook, who was the hot hand. And the fact is, it just it doesn't matter kind of like what our game plan is or what we're facing, but the coaches are putting us in a position to win, getting some of these players in there, and the players are responding. And I think that's just the biggest thing is, is never just one play. I mean, you look week in, week out, we give these game balls, and it's very rarely to the ever is it to the same person because everyone's stepping up at different times. Well, that's what just speaks to our depth, right? Like, if okay, so Zeus is not clicking on Saturday, so James Cook's the hot hand. You ride him. I wish you would have ridden him a little bit more, but hey, he still had a big game. Um, when you have Warren Erickson, whether it's the flu or just getting benched, whatever it might be, you have a guy like Xavier Trustin come in and play at a high level. Roger Jones coming to left tackle for Jamari Sauer in a hostile environment. Really, second time he's coming in a hostile environment. He's had to come in for large portions of that game uh, in Auburn on the Plains <laughs> and, and really not skipping much of a beat there. Uh, being able to take Brini out of the game and you bring in Dan Jackson. Dan Jackson not missing a beat there. Actually, we played much better defensively after that. So you're right. I mean, it, it's certainly the coaches deserve credit there for making those moves and seeing what's going on. It's again, that's what I'm talking about in-game adjustments right there. Those are in-game adjustments. We saw how the game was going and we made the moves we had to make. It's not always just X's and O's. It can also be personnel-wise as well. And then also having that depth there, uh, that that certainly certainly is a big benefit for this team. Obviously, that's one of the keys to, to our season right now. All right, for me, Curtis, this is a super big picture. And maybe this is me getting a little too emotional here, but man. I just got to say this, guys. It kind of hit me. Uh, obviously, we've been enjoying this awesome season. I mean, there's a long way to go, and we don't know how it's going to end. We all know what we want to happen, but we don't know. But it kind of just hit me sitting there at Neyland Stadium. I've been to Neyland Stadium, guys, and I've, I've seen a lot of Georgia wins there. Some very close, exciting Georgia wins. 2013 comes to mind. Overtime, Pick Howard trying to reach the ball in the end zone. Overtime goes out of the, the end zone, touchback. We win the game. Aaron Murray putting that team on his back in 2013. I've seen games like that. Came down the wire. I've seen some Georgia blowouts. I've seen some games that, that we lost. Uh, man, that's 2000. I was I think it was 2009, the Lane Kiffin game. It's just bootleg, 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 and it sucks to lose there. And so I was just sitting there. I was kind of soaking it up, man. It was just, it was awesome. Uh, I had usually I don't have great seats all the time when we're on the road, but this time I, I did spurge a little bit. Had good seats. I was right there where the where the the team was, right behind the bench, and just to kind of see the vibe there, and it just kind of hit me that Curtis. And tell me if you think I'm crazy, man. And I know, I know some people are older than me, all right? Some of you go back to the Herschel Walk years, the 80s, those glory years. But for me in my lifetime as a Georgia fan, this is as good as it's been, right? This is the best time of my life. And I think a lot of our listeners, the best time of your lives as a Georgia fan. It hasn't been better than this ever. Even 2017 was awesome. That was an epic run. But being like, like basically since week one, I guess I, well, I guess Bama lost to AM. Since Bama lost to AM, been number one. I felt we were number one all along. We've been the, the number one team in the cultural playoff for the first couple of, of rankings that have been released. We're 
clearly considered universally the best team in college football. Now, will it play out that way? We'll see. We still got a lot of games to win. But Chris, don't you get the feeling this is this is the time to live it up? Like, is this not the best time of your life as a Georgia fan? It is. You know, I, you mentioned 2017. I, I think back to that, and realistically, we were ahead of schedule, and I think that's why we didn't exactly enjoy it as much as we should have, because we were so far ahead of schedule coming off a year, the perpetual, we're just waiting for the other foot to drop. And it did against, against Auburn. And realistically, we had some weaknesses on that team. And so you were just hoping they weren't going to get exposed, but this year it's different because as you just saw against Tennessee, the first team all year that could truly threaten us and stretch us defensively, we go out there and realistically, I mean, 10 points is about what we gave up. I mean, I know they scored 17, but it was a garbage, a garbage touchdown that didn't really matter. And this is a team that no one has stopped. I mean, it took Bama having to outscore them in the yeah. shootout that we thought we potentially have to be with them. So, I mean, I'm in, I'm starting, I am enjoying it because it's different. It's just a different feel, a different standard. And it's, it's starting to kind of the tides turning. You're starting to see the change in the program and it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I mean, this is what we've been building to. We've been talking about it. I, I told you guys back in 2017 after we lost that national championship game, I was very emotional. I started tweeting stuff out, and I, I mean, I own I was very emotional. I mean, that, that sucked. I, it hurts even thinking about that. But the thing I said that night, tweeting out for that game, uh, I said on the, on the podcast the next day, I guess I recorded it, whenever I record the episode, that every Georgia team after, after 2017 was going to be more talented than that team. Right, Curtis? Like under Kirby Smart, they were always – like every team was going to be more talented than that team. And we all we were like an overtime, just blown coverage away from being a national championship, national champion in that season. And I think it's played out that way. And I, I think every team since then has been more talented. And has every team been as accomplished as that, that, that 2017 Georgia team? No, they have not. They've kind of fallen short. But – I think talent-wise, yeah. And this year, it's finally all coming together. This is what I've been living for, guys. Like this season. Now, again, we got to finish the drill. The drill to 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 uh, employ a Mark Rickism there. We got to finish the drill. All right. But this has been just—it's been incredible. And so I just—I kind of am trying to get myself to sit back and enjoy it more and just soak it in, like I did there in Nayland Stadium on Saturday night. And so I just say, guys, like. I know this is so personal for us, and we get so caught up in every little detail. We get so frustrated, whether it's the quarterbacks or the Adam Anderson story, like every little thing. Like we, like it hurts us. Like it's, a, it's like a, a, a knife. Like you're getting stabbed every time one of those things happens. But I would just encourage everyone to sit back and just enjoy this, right? Like obviously the, the nerves are still going to be there, right? It, it's Georgia football. We all care that much. We're going to live and die with every snap but also try to find time to enjoy it. I'm trying to do that myself because I like for me at my age, mid thirties, this is the best time of my life as a Georgia football fan. I don't go all the way back to the eighties. I wasn't alive for those glory years. I guess I was, well, no, I wasn't alive quite yet for those glory years. Um, some of you were, and I'm jealous of that, but for me, this is, this is the glory years, Curtis. I mean, this is like the height of that at this point, but the, this past three, four years, like this is as good as it has been. Mark Rick has some really big highs, but nothing quite like this. So that's just my big takeaway sitting there in the stadium. That kind of hit me. So I just want to throw that out here on the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But all right, let's move on, Curtis. And again, all the talk entering this game focused on Tennessee's explosive offense in Georgia's dominant defense. That was the matchup all eyes are on. Could Tennessee make it a shootout? Would the dog defense actually be able to slow down this type of offense? And once again, Curtis, as, uh, as has become just the case every single game this year, our defense said, hold my beer. Held into 387 total yards, 55 rush yards, 17 points. Uh, you're right, Curtis. That last score, garbage time, 88 yards on that, on that drive, garbage time yards. Uh, this is a team that's averaging 38 points a game coming to the game. Held them to 20, uh, three touchdowns under their average. So, Curtis, I don't know if you call it a dominant performance, but we defended them as well as any other team has defended Tennessee all year long. So what was the key, Curtis, in your mind to holding this explosive Tennessee offense in check in this way? Um, number one is not giving up the big play. As you saw when they were playing Kentucky, that was more realistically what most of the, it came on. I mean, you saw all the time of possession. They were they were hitting those big plays, just like scored on the first play of the drive of the game. And they almost scored on the second play of the game. But after that, we weren't giving them the big plays. And we were forcing Kentucky to go down the field – or not, sorry, forcing Tennessee to go down the field. If they were to score, they were going to have to be consistent over and over and execute all the way down the field. And we saw that that in the end is what they couldn't do. We were stopping them on fourth down, waiting for them to make mistakes or get them behind the chains. Not taking away or taking away the big play was the most important factor in winning that game. Yes, we gave up yards, especially on those little screens and uh, bubble bubble um, screens on the edges and things like that. But we didn't allow it to be explosive. Like it, I think CBS showed a stat towards the end of the game. I think we had ten plus. No, I want to say we had twenty. I can't. Either way, we had like. 10 to 20, 10 yard, 10 plus yard plays. And Tennessee only had like less than 10. And the difference yep. was we were the ones with the explosive plays and they weren't. They had 50 plays of 20 more yards coming into this game that we held them to three plays. Again, one of those was on that final drive, kind of garbage time, but whatever. I guess we had still had some starters out there, although we were banged up and guys were out of the game and the guys out with the flu, but whatever, I guess it happened. Yeah, man. I mean, that that's exactly right. We did not give up the explosive plays. I talked about that last week. On the preview episode, we could not allow them to hit those explosive plays. How does a team like Tennessee that doesn't have the talent that we have stay in games like that? They hit explosive plays because they were not going to be able to consistently sustain 10, 12, 11, 13 play drives, whatever. They were not going to consistently be able to do that. They might be able to put a couple drives like that together, but not enough to beat us. I didn't feel like that was the case. We could not give up explosive plays. And the game plan was clearly that. We came out trying to – do exactly what I thought we'd do because it's what we've done all year long. Play a too high safety shell, try to stop the run with even numbers in the box, and and uh, defend their screen game as well. And like we were willing to give them that, like we were willing to give them that. I know there's people in the stands that were frustrated those five six yard plays, and I, I mean, you don't like that either in five yards a puck. But when the alternative is giving up fifty yard touchdowns, 
I'll take that all day. We were gambling. We were saying, look, beat us this way. Beat us with 10, 11, 12 play drives. We don't think you can do it. And that turned out to be the case. Like In the first quarter, their first touchdown drive, 10 plays, 77 yards. They put on the second drive. Their field goal drive uh, in the first quarter was 13 plays, 76 yards. But they couldn't sustain that consistently. So when they went up 10-7, they had 162 yards on 26 plays, averaging 6.2 yards per play. That's that's not Georgia caliber defense right there. That's not our standard. But after that, after they go up 10-7, we held them to 19 or 32 yards on 19 plays in those five drives to end the first half. Held them to 1.6 yards per play, Curtis. Clearly, we made adjustments. You mentioned we took out Latavius Brini and we we brought in Dan Jackson, put him at safety, put Chris Smith at star. What else did you see us do differently from that point on that accounted for us really taking their game completely away? Because they were having success those first two or three drives, but we shut them down after that. What happened? Realistically, it felt like our blitz packages changed. Um and not only that, but just every time we brought pressure, it was just different. We were bringing them more on the outside, but at the same time, even when we went to the screens, we started spreading out defensively, almost going like putting a lot of people in the box, but spread out. Because you saw it with Nolan and um, Trevon Walker and them, that when they saw that those screens were coming, they started going out towards the screens to take on the blockers head on. Um, we just It just felt like the front seven's w- what made the difference. Realistically, it made a big difference here. We were certainly getting after the quarterback more consistently. We were bringing, we were bringing a little more pressure. We brought five guys more than we typically do. We were trying to make life a little harder for Hinn and Hooker. Another thing that we did, especially once we took Brini out, is we got more aggressive in man coverage. We got more up in their face. We were playing man coverage. We were playing like off man coverage to open the game because we obviously did not want to give those big plays. Like we were giving them some pretty big cushion, and that like their game plan was pretty obvious offensively. They but they knew like just like every, just like you and I knew, Curtis, and every, all of our listeners out there knew. They know their coaching staff knew they had to hit big plays and be explosive to win this game. They understood that. So when we were sitting back there with kind of soft man coverage, a too high shell clearly trying to limit their ability to do that. They were trying to pull us out of that. That's why they were throwing so many screens early in the game. So many quick passes. The short game was, was a big part of what they were trying to do because they were trying to force us out. They were trying to get us to the point where we just got tired of giving up five, six yards um, each play, five or six yards a pop and come out of that, get up in their faces, give them some one-on-one looks on the outside. And they're trying to hit those vertical shots on the field. It was very clearly what they were trying to do. And, and you know what? In the second quarter, we kind of said, all right, We'll do it. We trusted our cornerbacks. We put our cornerbacks, I don't want to say completely on an island, but we went with more one-high looks than we have all season long. Now, we didn't do it exclusively, but we pulled out some one-high looks so that we could get safeties up in their faces and not play 10 yards off and give them that stuff. Because, again, those first you know, two of those first three drives, they went 10-plus plays, and they scored. Those were scoring drives. So we said, all right, well, that was our game plan. They're putting together those drives, so we have to take that away, and we're going to take our chances and see if they can beat us down the field. And they hit, like, a couple of big plays, but nothing that was ex- as explosive as they, as they had been, like going back to the Kentucky game last week. And our cornerbacks, I mean, I know that Ringo had that play where he was kind of beat and tackled the end zone. Although I think Ringo was kind of there if he just turned around that play. Didn't you get that feeling, Curtis? If he turns around, he can make a play on the ball. I do, and even then, I'd rather him have a pass interference than allowing a catch. Like to me, that's yeah, I mean, actually it, smart. It was fine. Like, I don't. I think he kind of panicked there. It reminded me of the Clemson game where like. He wasn't in terrible position. He just didn't know where the ball was. He couldn't find the ball. And so instead of like potentially giving him a touchdown, he just tackled the guy. But he was actually in pretty good position. I thought, I, and I, I know um, Kendrick gave up a, a long one on that last drive. But really, outside of that, they weren't able to hit those plays. And a big part of that, as you said, Curtis, was that, that we were able to start getting pressure on him. They didn't have time to get those plays off. So 
really it was, it was a combination of things. We changed some things from a, a coverage standpoint, being much more aggressive, our man coverage being up in their face, pressing them more. We obviously made the personnel move, getting Brini out of there, moving uh, Chris Smith to, to star and putting Dan Jackson. In state. I thought Dan Jackson played really well, Curtis. I mean, I know this is a guy that people don't really think all that highly of. He's a, he's a, he's a walk on and he's going to get a scholarship as soon as we can give him one. But I thought he came in and played really well. He tackled well, covered well, and did some good things. So he's a guy that we clearly trust back there. So all that combined for us after those first, you know, I guess two of those first three drives to completely shut that Tennessee offense down. But um, all right, Curtis, the defense did its job. But in the matchup that I felt would actually decide this game, the matchup that no one was talking about, our offense versus Tennessee defense, I thought we had a pretty significant advantage here because I didn't think very highly of the Tennessee defense and it kind of proved to be that we put up 487 yards 6.9 yards per play to put that in perspective guys 6.9 yards per play if you look at the national numbers that's top 10 level good which is actually where we are I know people think our offense is not good enough to win national title but we are top 10 in yards per play put up 41 points on this Tennessee defense so how are we able to find that type of success against the Vols Oh, well, first off, especially in the second half, we just started wearing them down. Because the thing about – I mean, we talk about it all the time with these explosive hurry-up offenses. When you don't execute, you leave your defense in a very, very bad position. And that's exactly what happened. They started having three and out short drives. And their defense – we were just wearing down their defense, especially – and the biggest thing was the defense was worn down. And we didn't try to just be stubborn. Like, we took what they were giving us. We took the yard, the running yards when they were there, but we also started trying to get the running backs on the edge. We didn't try to really go for the deep ball because they were, it felt like they were trying to take away the deep ball. So we hit them over the middle field on the outside where they were giving it to us. We took what they were giving giving to us, and we executed when we had to. Absolutely. I thought it was – honestly, I thought this was a really, really good offensive performance. I mean, we put up 400 and whatever, 400 and – what was it? 487, I want to say. Yeah, 47, 6.9 yards for play. Go back and look at that. 41 points. I feel like we could have scored 50 plus on this team. It's, it's kind of what's happening with this offense. It's like, yeah, Georgia doesn't put up 500, 600 yards of offense. Yeah, we don't put up 50, 60 points or whatever because we don't have to. We get in the second half. Our defense is so good. Our offense is doing enough to score in the in the, you know, the first two and a half quarters of games that we're literally just grinding clock in the second half. Like some of these other teams that are playing, you know, you got Ohio State, Oklahoma, whoever's trying to play. Actually, Oklahoma hasn't been that great on offense. But whatever team out there trying to put up big-time points, it's because those games are actually close late in the game, and they're having to put up those points to win. We haven't had to do that. I think this offense can. I, I truly believe it. But in this, this specific game, we were able to it, – it's the same recipe, Curtis. It's, it's the same recipe that's been for the past couple weeks, really since Stetson's taken over. We want to establish a run. We want to take play-action shots off that. And we want to try to make them pay explosive plays. Now, we weren't as explosive in the passing game as we have been the past couple of weeks. I think Stetson only averaged like 7.1 yards per attempt, which is not terrible. It's not good. It's not terrible. But when Stetson, like last week, averaged you know over 13 yards per attempt, the second in the country coming into the game, I think at 12.8, something like that, yards per attempt, buying Grayson McCall, you know, we expect maybe to hit some more vertical shots. And we didn't hit as many of those. There was that one to Bowers, Curtis, that should, probably should have been a touchdown, right? Yo, easily, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that should have been a touchdown. That was, just, that was a poor throw by Stetson. Brock almost bailed him out. I think – I thought Brock – I mean, honestly, I know it, whatever they call it, whether they call it catch or incomplete on the field, they were going to stick with that. There wasn't enough evidence to overturn it either way. I thought he made the catch. I know kind of the ball was going from one hand to the other, so I get why they they held it up and it stood. But 
I thought he made that catch, but th- that should have been a walk-in touchdown. Uh, Todd Munkin, once again, dialed up a beautiful play. But that's that's what we want to do. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And when they have to overcompensate for that, take those play-action shots, hit them. They're going to be there. They've been there all year. Stetson's hit more than his fair share of them. He missed that one. But I think all in all, that was the game plan, and we executed really, really well. And in the second half, we were able to, like, we just started leaning on them in the second half in the run game, just absolutely just taking their soul. And uh, that's kind of been the recipe all year long. That was the recipe on Saturday. We're just honestly just better. We're more talented. That's what it comes down to. We're just more talented than Tennessee, than their defense. And we just kind of, we executed well enough, and then we just leveraged that talent. That's really what it came down to. Now, Curtis, I do want to uh, also mention this real quick. One thing that I said, I don't want to pat myself in the back too much here, but last week I was talking about one of the, some of the things that we need to do offensively. To, and you and I were actually, I think we had this conversation on the recap episode, right? Like, what do we need to do offensively to take advantage of Stetson's skill set? And one of the things that I mentioned was that we need to throw the ball more on first down. And Todd Munkin listened. Now, obviously, Todd Munkin knows far more about football than I ever will. He didn't have to listen to me. Obviously, he's not listening to this podcast. But he saw the same things that I'm seeing. On first down, teams are absolutely selling out to stop the run. So we threw the ball nine times in the first half on first down. Nine different times on first down, we threw the football. That is calling, that's called breaking a tendency right there. We actually threw the ball on first down 11 times before going up 27 to 10. And after that, we were just kind of trying to solve the game away. So we just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. But clearly, he's been seeing what we've been seeing, Curtis. You and I talked about this last week how teams are really aggressive trying to stop the run on first down. And he wanted to try to break some tendencies and take advantage of that. That was a sight for sore eyes for me. We saw Stetson get involved in the run game a little bit more. I would still like to see more of Stetson Bennett in the run game, more than just like two or three attempts, uh, at least designed attempts. We saw a couple of RPOs. I would like to see more of those. But you start to get the feeling that now that we're kind of rolling with Stetson here, that we're trying to fit this offense more and more on his skill set. I really like to see us throw the ball on first down that many times. Now, you don't want to make a living off that necessarily, but you've got to be willing to throw the ball on first down when teams are selling out to stop the run, which is clearly what Tennessee was doing. They had the same game plan that Missouri had coming in last week, and this time we were ready for it. We were willing to throw the ball on first down. We had some success early in the game doing that, and that certainly helped us get that lead that clearly Tennessee was not able to, to come back from. But, Curtis, I do want to take a bigger picture look at the offense here real quick before we move on. So we obviously played well offensively against Tennessee. It's not a great Tennessee defense. I know that you've had some concerns about this offense all season long, particularly when it comes to winning a potential shootout. Now, I've my position has basically been, I don't think we're going to be in a shootout because I think our defense is that good. But we are going to play better teams down the road that are going to be able to score. I think that's, that's clear. So after this week, Curtis, now the SEC play is over, where do you stand on whether this offense is good enough to win a national title? I, I think they are good enough. The thing is that we are going to have to show that we can be more explosive. And I'm not talking about the 10-plus yards play. I'm talking about the 40-plus the forty plus yard plays. Even in the run game, we've got to show more explosiveness consistently. Um, that big touchdown run by James Cook was huge. I think that was the longest touchdown run of the year. And that was it nice was. to see. But we're going to have to do it more consistently. And, and that's what I want to see is just some more consistency in the explosive plays. Um, because that's what's going to take to beat some of these teams. You're going to have to make that explosive play. Like the touchdown, like that play to Brock Bowers, it's great that the drive continued and he is able to throw that beautiful ball to James Cook for that touchdown right before the end of the half. That was a huge play. But it also took us converting on that third down with that throw to um, 
to Mitchell and then Mitchell having that great catch on that third down conversion to put us in a position to do that. And it was great that we did it and executed, but that's not always going to happen, especially against, you know, a good team that's going to put some pressure on you probably better defensively when those plays are there, like where Brock was open and you lead him well enough and let him to go, allow him to go in for the touchdown. We've got to be able to hit on those plays and do things like that more consistently. Fair. I, I I I think that we do need to be more explosive in the run game. I will give you that. We have not been as explosive as we need to in the run game. We talked about that quite a few times this this season. And I think you're starting to see us maybe hit more plays in the run game like that. Your idea what well, it, was. It, it, I've noticed. I've noticed, especially Mitchell and people like that, are blocking a lot better on the edge. Which because you lot. see the coaches. The coaches are really getting giving these players a good jobs because we've struggled so much. You can tell they're trying to put an emphasis on it, which I think has helped the run game. Because you saw it. I mean, the yes, we had great blocking up front, but the especially on James Cook's long touchdown run, we had to have some good blocking on the edge by Bowers and the other people that opened it up. Big time. Yeah, I mean, they're doing a much better job, and that was a major concern of mine early in the season because they weren't good. They were not good block on the edge, and then there were a lot of young guys, and they had to improve. And obviously, there was no Darnell Washington early in the year, but I mean, they're going back on the rewatch. Lab McConkie was blocking his tail off out there. Marcus Rosemary Jackson doing a great job. Jermaine Burton really picked up his game as a blocker. AD Mitchell is doing a better job. Brock Bowers is is a he's a good blocker on the edge. He's still like from a fundamental standpoint, still a work in progress. He got he had that hold. Um, I think it was in the second half, I want to say. But we're doing a much better job there. And that's really what helps. Those, those second level blocks by the receivers out in the perimeter, that really is what springs those long runs. And we're doing a much better job there. But I think, honestly, Curtis, I feel like we've been explosive in the passing game. I mean, again, Stetson Bennett is second nationally in yards per attempt. He's right at, now, he's after last week, or after this Tennessee game, right at 11 yards per attempt. I mean, we're not throwing the ball a ton. Fair enough. We don't throw the ball 30, 40 times. That's not what this offense is built to do. It's a complimentary offense. This offense is built to complement our defense, which I think it should be. But when we take those shots, I know he misses some, but the thing is all quarterbacks miss some. And the one to Bauer should have been a touchdown. That should have been a touchdown for sure. But Stetson's still hitting a high number of those, and we're putting up big explosive numbers when we give him opportunities to do so. I think our offense can do that. Now, I know the concern is people say, well, our drop back passing. Let's say that we play Alabama or we play Ohio State or whoever we might play down the road, and they put up 30 points on our team. Can our defense or can our offense do that? But, Curtis, haven't we been basically putting up 30, 40 points on everybody? Yeah, I think they can. I think the biggest thing is when I talk about consistency, you saw outside that first drive, we were pretty bad till it got in a little bit more into the second quarter. We're having, we're consistently having almost like a whole quarter plus of staleness on offense. And that's what I'm talking about with our consistency okay. is you can't, because if you're playing a good team, you give them a chance to get ahead of you by more than just three points or seven points like Tennessee. If we build ourselves a 14 point deficit, we don't know how we will respond. And, that, and that's what I'm talking about with consistency Fair. is like, we have to do it. Cause like, yeah, we've hit big plays, but they've always been, in, you know, in spurts, like they, come, they come quick for the most part where it's easier yeah. to do that. And, yeah. and that's my biggest thing is like, you can't have these lull, like these drives where you're just lulling about, about things. It feels like. I, I, and that's fair. I, and I see where you're coming from there. That's fair. I would just, for me, like, like I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't had concerns about the offense. It's not voice them on the show. Absolutely. But the longer the season goes, the more and more I feel like this absolutely is a championship caliber offense. Now, is it an elite offense? Is it the best offense in the country? No, it's not. But I would say to me, Curtis, I know this sounds crazy. I think this is the top 10 caliber offense in the country. I really believe that. And the numbers kind of back it up. And we're 11th nationally 
with 38.7 points per game. And think about how many times in the second half, basically every game we play, we're just salt in the game in the second half. We're not even trying to score half the time in the fourth quarter, especially. And we're still put up almost 39 points a game. That's 11th nationally. We're third nationally. If you, if you take out all the cupcake games, if you take out the baby seals and you look at FBS games, we are third nationally in yards per play, third nationally in points per play, fifth in yards per pass attempt. Um, we are ninth in points per game. We're 10th in yards per completion. 18th in yards per rush. Uh, we are sixth in yards per point. This is a top 10 caliber offense. We just don't have to put up massive numbers. So our defense is, is just stifling everybody. And we get in the second half and we kind of just solve the game away. So like, I know there's some concerns relative to our defense. I understand there's some, there's some concerns that the offense is not the level of our defense. I get that. But our defense is also an all-time level defense. Is our offense all-time level offense? No, of course not. But I still think it's plenty good at the comment what our defense is doing, even with Stetson Bennett quarterback. So I, I don't know, man. I just want to put that out there because I don't I hear these these concerns and I get it. I really do. I understand what you're saying there, Curtis, about the consistency. But I think this offense all season long has done the job. And I absolutely, even with Stetson Bennett, I know there's some concerns out, out there about Stetson. I get that. But even with him at quarterback, I think this offense is national championship good when you factor in what we've got on defense. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, let's move into the last segment here. We got some game balls to hand out. I think there's a number of different ways we could go with this. I'm going to let you kick things off. Who gets your first game ball of the week? Um, well, I'm going to start with the offense, um, and it's a no-brainer that goes James Cook. I thought the guy was explosive in all aspects of the game. Um, he really made the plays for us. He, he, you know, he once again showed that he's not just a scat back. He can run between the tackles, and I think that was the biggest thing. And then his versatility in the passing game. So I definitely have to go with James Cook. Yeah, he's number one on my list. I mean, he has to be. I mean, Curtis, let's talk about James Cook. we got some mailbag questions about this that we'll get to later on in the week, but I want to get your take on this real quick while you're here. Does James Cook need more touches? Is he our best running back right now? 100%. And the fact is, it's because he's, as we've talked about him for the past few years, it's his versatility is what makes him our best running back. And especially in a team like this where they're stunting, he's better because he can, he can, James Cook is better at going skinny in the hole where Zeus struggles with that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's not talked about enough when it comes to James Cook and the versatility he brings, especially in the running game. And what he allows us to do in the passing game, he is our most important back right now. Let's uh, let's just be real here. James Cook has better vision than Zamir White. Right? I mean, it's oh, yeah, because there's I, – I, you know, I, I talked to you about that one play where Zeus tried to bust it outside when there was a clear lane up the middle. Yeah, absolutely. And on, on that touchdown run that Cook had in the first on the first drive – 
look, we don't know how it would have played out. But part of me feels like Zeus would just try to take on the safety and run him over. At least old old Zeus would have. Zeus is much better with, with that than he has been in the past couple of years. And look, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how Zeus was our best running back. And how he needed more touches. But now that we've seen more James Cook, and James Cook is making the kind of impact that he's been making the past couple of weeks. And he's got five touchdowns over the last three, I think, yeah, last three weeks. He's making an impact in the passing game. He's making an impact in the running game. You mentioned Curtis. And we're not talking about just, just on the edges. Because think about how we used to use him. Just on his like fly sweeps, right? He was like the, the jet motion. That's how we used to use James Cook. Now we're using him as an actual running back. He's running between the tackles just as effectively as he is on the edges right now. And his vision, he's bulked up some. He's really kind of able to take on that contact better. Now he's still not like James, or he's still not Zamir White level power. But he's certainly more powerful and willing to take on some of those 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 hits than he had in years past. So I think James is a guy that we got to feed, man. Like I'm not saying don't give Zamir White the ball. Zamir has a lot of value to this team. And there are things that Zamir White does really well that James Cook isn't as good at. So he obviously needs touches as well. But James Cook is a guy that is, I mean, Curtis, I know Brock Bowers is the guy that we talked about as our biggest playmaker all year, but can you make a case for James Cook right now as the biggest playmaker on the team? Oh, 100% just because of his versatility. Um, yeah. Doing it in both the run game and the pass game. I mean, we're not talking about just a screen game either. Like that touchdown pass, he lined up at wide receiver and ran a sluggo. He ran a slant and go for a touchdown and ran it beautifully. And we saw him do that last year. It wasn't a sluggo against Alabama last year. We saw him line up out wide in man coverage. You got Christian Harris on the man coverage against Alabama last year. Long touchdown pass from Stetson in that game. So this guy, I, I think he's making his case as the biggest playmaker on this offense. An offense that does have quite a few guys that can make plays. I think James Cook's certainly at the top of that list right now. So that's a great call there. He was number one for me. I feared you'd steal him. I'm going to go defense here, Curtis, because our good friend Cliff – our good friend Cliff says that we have to shut the podcast down if he does not get a game ball. And he was already on my list. He was number two behind James Cook. Channing Tindall, Curtis. Channing Tindall doesn't get the love of N'Kobe Dean. Not even Quay Walker. You guys know I love Quay Walker. But Channing Tindall is a guy. Talk about a program, guy. He's been in, been in the program for a while now. Stuck around. Could have transferred out. He's a former highly rated guy to Columbia, South Carolina. He's had a big year for us. I mean, we really have three co-starters at inside linebacker. And Channing had three sacks in the day. Obviously, one was a big one where they were trying to go for a scoring drive there late in the game, and he forced the fumble on the sack. I mean, this guy is just a heat-seeking missile. Is he as, uh, let's say, does he move as well laterally? Is he as athletic as a guy like N'Kobe Dean or Quay Walker? Not necessarily, but in a straight line, he's the fastest linebacker we have in a straight line. He's shot out of a cannon in a straight line. And when you give him those opportunities, he's such a good blitzer as well. I mean, he closes ground. I think better than anyone that we have on the team on our defense, to be honest with you. And he obviously had a big game, impactful plays, not just numbers. Sometimes you see these guys that linebackers rack up numbers. Oh, yeah, 13 tackles. Okay, cool. Where were those tackles made? We're talking about impact tackles or impact plays. And by the way, Chain Tindall is leading this team. If I'm not wrong here, Curtis, he's leading the team in tackles. So Channing is a guy that deserves a lot, of, a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, he is, right? Uh, there's, there's a lot yeah, more attention. I want to give him a shout out here. He certainly gets my first game ball of the week. All right, Kurt, who are you going with next? Um, next, I actually want to go with Cedric Van Pran. Um, he had some very key blocks, especially on that very first touchdown run for James Cook. And if you went back, um, I don't know if any of y'all follow Cole Kubelik on Twitter, but he pointed out um, that huge block by Cedric Van Pran on Jeremy Banks. And yeah. to me, the guy is just starting to really get it. Um, he started. It's all starting to really click for him, and I, he's just laying some devastating blocks out there. And so I definitely think he deserves the game ball. Yeah, he's been a work in progress. There's been times where I'm kind of shaking my head at him, but he's certainly continued to improve. He's still young. He's still so young, 
and he's getting better and better and better. So yeah, he had a really good game. And you're right, that play was awesome, man. That was a big play to spring that, or big block to spring that play. Uh, good call there. I'm gonna go. I got a couple here. Who do I want to go with? Who do I want to go? All right, I'm gonna go Nolan Smith here. All right, I know Nolan got knocked out in the game, and God, I hope he. It seems like he's gonna be okay. He seems like he's an elbow bruise, right, Kurt? Is that what you're hearing? That's what they're saying. He should be back for the SEC championship game at the latest. Yeah, I would love for him to be back against Tech, but. You know, whatever. Uh, as long as he's back for SEC, I guess I'm okay with that. But Nolan Smith is just playing at such a high level, guys. He's the emotional leader on this team. I've been told by some people around the program that, the, like, people talk about Nicobe Dean, who's a big leader on the, t- on the defense. Obviously, people talk about Jordan Davis, a big leader on the defense. But I've been told that Nolan Smith is the most vocal of the guys out there, that he's like the, the heart and soul of the defense. Like, he's the guy behind the scenes that gets guys jacked up. He's, he's talking guys up. He, he's the one that kind of sets the tone for the defense. And you, the level of play that we've seen from him this year out there on the field compared to the, the playing time he got in the, his first couple of years is night and day. Now, part of that, a big part of that is that he wasn't getting as much playing time, but this guy has made a huge leap. Like this is a former number one overall recruit in the country, and he is absolutely playing like a number one overall recruit in the country. When this guy is playing, the, he's not a, he's still not a huge dude, but he is playing the run with physicality, just shedding blockers. Rushing the passer very well. He had a he had a, a play on Saturday which should have been a sack. He was there. He beat the tackle, but he kind of he kind of jumped on the court. He jumped on the quarterback and, and just missed him a little bit. He ran out. I think we tracked him down like a one or two yard game. But Nolan's making plays left and right against the run, against the pass. He's the emotional leader of this defense, and this is a guy that I think we are very very lucky to have. And it's awesome to see him really kind of live up to that potential here in year three. So Nolan Smith, gotta give him a shout out there, Curtis. And you got one more. Who are you going with? Um, I'm going to go with Xavier Trust. Um, the guy stepped in for Warren Erickson and, in my opinion, did really well. Um, you kind of saw a change in our offense, especially on the offensive line or in the run game. We, for once, had some push down there, um, especially on the right side. And I thought he was doing a great job of pulling. And just no matter what he was doing, he was at least putting a head, a ha- um, head on a head and was getting after someone. Great call. Great call. All right. And I know with this last one, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. And that's certainly not my intention. There's a couple of different directions I can go with this. I was going to go Xavier Trust, Curtis. You mentioned him. Uh, I was going to go Dan Jackson potentially, but we've already given Dan Jackson game ball earlier in the year, but you could certainly justify giving him one here coming in and being a big part of why this defense was able to hold that Tennessee offense in check after a couple of shaky drives early in the game. So Dan Jackson's certainly a guy that's earned the coach's trust. He's earned my trust. And he's a guy that could certainly deserve a game ball coming out of this win over Tennessee. But I'm going to go with a guy, a player, that I don't think has ever gotten a game ball from us this season. I don't think he has. And it's kind of crazy if you think about it with how well he's played in some of these games. He might have gotten one earlier in the year, maybe week two. Maybe. I just I don't remember off the top of my head. Somebody can go back and, and run the tape and correct us on that if that's the case. But as far as I know, I don't think that Stetson Bennett has gotten a game ball from us here on the Glory UGA podcast all season. The quarterback of the undefeated Georgia Bulldogs has not gotten a game ball from us, as far as I remember, all season long. And we all know the reasons for that. We know there's a lot of consternation around the question as to whether he can actually lead this offense to win a shootout, which I don't think might ever happen. I hope it doesn't ever happen. Can he be a quarterback that's a drop-back passer the way the JT Daniels is? Can he be... A, a truly championship caliber quarterback for this offense. I know a lot of you still think the answer is no. I understand that. 
And who knows? You very well could ultimately be proven correct. That's certainly a possibility. I hope it's not, not because I don't want you guys to be right, but in this case, I don't want you to be right. I want us to win a national title. But Stetson Bennett has shown me enough that I feel okay now saying that this is Stetson Bennett's team. Now, it's not just his team. Obviously, the defense is still what's driving this team. But from a quarterback standpoint, right, the quarterback's the leader of the offense, right? At least that's what they're supposed to be. That's how quarterbacks are perceived. I think Stetson is the quarterback for this team. I mean, pretty clearly, guys. Like, he's the guy. JT Daniels is not going to be coming in and taking over this job barring some catastrophe happening, barring Stetson just having like a dreadful half of football or something where we're down the first half in a way that we haven't been. We're down a couple scores and he's played poorly. He's a big reason why we're down. And maybe you bring JT off the bench, try to spark the offense. I'm I'm not saying that's out of the question. It's not out of the question. But at this point, guys, if you look at how he's performed all season long, what makes you think that's going to happen? Now, are we going to play better teams? Yeah, we know that. We're going to play better teams down the stretch. But I feel like there's just an assumption among people in the Georgia fan base, some people, that when we get to those better games, Stetson can't hack it. And I don't think he's shown that this year. Now, I know what people look at, and I was guilty of this early in the year too. It's hard to wipe that Bama game from last year from your mind. I know that's hard to wipe from your memory. That game happened. He played very poorly in that game, and he was a big reason why we lost the game. Maybe the most prominent reason, probably the most prominent reason why we lost that game. That's true. But this is a different year. It's a different team. Stetson Bennett has played really good football for us. Now, does that mean he's perfect? No, absolutely not. He's missed throws. As we said, that pass to Brock Bowers that Bowers almost made a miraculous catch with, that should have been a touchdown. It wasn't the worst pass ever. It wasn't like you saw some of the passes from Hinton Hooker where it looked like he was throwing the ball away. They were so bad. The balls were just sailing on him. It wasn't that bad, but it wasn't good either. You got to throw that ball on the other shoulder, lead him a little bit. That's a walk-in touchdown. But he also does so many things for us that really help this offense go. And I know that some people scoff the idea of his mobility, but guys, it's a real factor. It is a real factor. There are multiple plays in this game that Stetson Bennett made because of his mobility. And I'm talking about big plays. First half, touchdown. That's Stetson Bennett's mobility. There are multiple plays you're watching that game where if JT Daniels is our starting quarterback, it's a sack. And not only is is Stetson able to escape the pressure, escape the pocket, and avoid the sack, but he also is able to make plays in those situations. But now is Stetson, like long-term, does he have a higher NFL ceiling than JT Daniels? Of course not. I think you had to be out of your mind to say that. Of course not. But that doesn't mean he's not the best quarterback for this team right now. Complimentary football is a real thing, guys. I know a lot of you want to see us put up 500, 600 yards a game. I know you want to see us put up explosive play after explosive play in the passing game. You go for 50, 60-yard touchdowns routinely. I understand all that. And look, scoring is great. Explosive plays are great. We need to do both of those things. But you also need to play complimentary football. This team is clearly led by its defense. And you have to be able to complement that. Stetson Bennett has done an incredible job of that. He's done a really, really good job. Now, was this his best game ever at Tennessee? No, I don't think it was his best game. He's he's had better games. He's put up better numbers. Again, only 7.1 yards per attempt. But here's why I'm giving Stetson Bennett a game ball. That was a hostile environment, guys. Those Tennessee fans were fired up. Now, it wasn't as loud as I've heard it in Neyland Stadium at times. I was actually surprised by that. But it was still a hostile environment. 
we went down early. The defense was not clicking. We were not playing Georgia caliber, championship caliber defense. We were not playing to our standard in that first quarter. And Stetson Bennett was able to play well enough to keep us in the game while our defense was able to figure things out. Yes, he has his limitations. Yes, our drop back pass game is more limited with him in the game. But I, as I've said a couple of times the past couple of weeks, the more I think about this, the more I just think we've become kind of like hyper-focused on Stetson's deficiencies and we nitpick him and hold him to a standard that we don't do with other quarterbacks, that other fan bases don't do with their quarterbacks. Stetson's not perfect. He has his limitations, but no quarterback's perfect. All quarterbacks have limitations. There's things there's good that they are good at. There's things they aren't good at. Stetson is no different. Stetson hits some throws. He misses some throws. Just like any quarterback hits some throws, misses some throws. All quarterbacks miss throws. It's just it's crazy to me sometimes how we just zero in on every single poor throw Stetson makes. And he makes some, but we just magnify that. And we don't do that with certain guys. It's almost like a selective criticism of Stetson Bennett. And I want to get off that. I really don't want to make this another Stetson versus JT conversation. We've talked about that so many times. I don't want to go down that route. I just want to sit here and say I think Stetson Bennett has done a really good job for us. I thought he did a really good job in this game. No, 7.3 yards per attempt. That's not what he was doing. That's about half of what he was doing last week against Missouri. We didn't hit those explosive plays. But Stetson made plays that had to be made. He really did an awesome job operating the two-minute drill, was able to use his legs, extend some plays, uh, score a touchdown with his legs, help the run game out, being able to pull a couple of balls. I wish we'd do more of that with him, kind of just go full in with him. As I said last week, just go all in on Stetson Bennett. If that's what we're, if he's going to be our starting quarterback, just go all in on him and fit the offense around his skill set. I would work more of that in there. But this is a big spot. I do stand by what I said last week. I think this is the biggest challenge to date for this team. There will be bigger challenges down the road. We know that. But to date, I do think this is the biggest challenge in a hostile environment against a Tennessee team with a lot of momentum. And Stetson was able to answer the bell, played really well, led this offense to 41 points, over 480 yards of, of total offense. And I'll just leave you with this. Last thing I'll say on it, I'm just glad Stetson Bennett's on our team. I'll just say that. I know a lot of you guys want JT, JT to be the guy. I get it. I understand it. But where would we be this season without Stetson Bennett? And I know that it wasn't like a vintage performance. It wasn't his best performance. It really wasn't. So maybe this is more of like a, a cumulative award, a cumulative game ball for what he's been able to do, leading this team to an undefeated record in conference play for the first time since 1982, taking all the questions, all the beatings out there from the fan base and the people in the media who are clamoring for JT to, to take the job back, and he just goes about his business, gets the job done, goes to work, and does things the right way. So maybe it's that. I don't know, but... I'm giving the game ball here. My final one goes to Stetson Bennett the fourth. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory J podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in to listen to us here on the podcast and supporting us all throughout this 2021 Georgia football season. You guys know we got a lot more content for you guys later on this week. Charlie and I will be back with the mailbag episode on Tuesday. We're not going to do a Charleston Southern preview episode for obvious reasons. I have not seen Charleston Southern play. I don't think any of you want to listen to me break them down. Uh, That just seems to be pretty obvious to me, so we're not going to do that. What we're going to do instead is we're going to do a recruiting-specific show. Don't look now, guys, but signing day is just a couple of weeks away And I know there's been a lot of movement on the recruiting front. We just retook the number one spot in 247 composite this past week. We flipped another guy from Florida, Julian Humphrey, cornerback. 
So there's a lot of attention that's going to be on the recruiting aspect of things here very, very shortly. And while we have a little bit of time this week, all due respect to Charleston Southern, I thought you guys might be a little bit more interested in that because we're starting to see a lot more questions come in about recruiting. So I thought it'd be a really fun time to be able to just kind of pause. We don't do this much during the, during the football season because we're all in on the season and recruiting kind of takes a back seat. But this might be a good time for us to be able to do that. So if you have any questions that you want us to address on recruiting, any ideas, anything that you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at glorygapodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to include everyone's questions on our Wednesday episode. And then Charlie and I, of course, will be back at the end of the week to wrap things up with our picks of the week. But thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.